people of God, during this season of Advent, we've uh, been reading through the lectionary texts uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. And last Sunday, we looked at Jesus' teachings on the second coming from Matthew 24. And today, we turn to Matthew chapter 3, which is on page 1,499 of the Bibles in your pews. And we're going to look at the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist, this prophet who prepares the way for the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God. The season of Advent is traditionally a time of preparation for the church, a time that we set aside to look at the teachings of Scripture concerning the second coming of Christ and the final judgment, and to prepare ourselves for that time when Christ will come again uh, to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. And that's exactly what the lectionary captures through these different readings. Now, my guess is that most of us here aren't very familiar with the lectionary. We, we, we maybe have heard the term, but we, we don't really know what it is. Um, and and th there is a helpful um, little, uh, little paragraph that Pastor Carl uh, wrote up for us um, to, to, to help us to understand a little bit what it is that the lectionary does and what the lectionary means. The, the lectionary is just a collection of biblical texts that the church has used um, at different stages throughout history. And, and every Sunday, every, um, every, for every service, it has a Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading and a gospel reading and a psalm. And th that's one of the things that I love about the lectionary is that it teaches us to read the Old and the New Testament together, which I think a lot of the times is something that we get a little bit confused about. But the lectionary brings together the Old and the New Testament and forces us to look at them together. And, and the, 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 the basic idea behind this is that every part of Scripture points to Christ. What is proclaimed in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the Gospels, is explained in the letters, and is celebrated in the Psalms. The Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled by Christ in his life, and then we're explained what that means for how we should live in the, the New Testament letters, and, and we sing about them. Um, in the Psalms. And so to bring that together, we've been using the Old Testament and the New Testament readings as part of the candle readings um, for, for this Advent series, and uh, we respond to that by singing a psalm. And so today, for example, the Old Testament reading was from Isaiah 11, where the prophet tells us that the branch of Jesse will be filled with the Spirit of God and will judge all peoples with righteousness and with justice and with understanding, and his justice will bring peace on earth in the kingdom of God. And then the New Testament reading from Romans 15 tells us how in Christ God has created a new people, that, that uh, a new Israel, that, that in Christ God has opened the door for the Gentiles to, to be welcomed into the kingdom of God, to become a part of God's people. And so we ought to accept others in love the way that God has accepted us into his family. And then in response, we sang the words of Psalm 72, which celebrates in song how, how the Messiah of God will bring justice for the poor and the oppressed, and how all of the nations of the earth will come and bow down before him, and how we will praise him forever and ever in the kingdom of God. So what's taught in Isaiah is fulfilled by Christ, explained by Paul, and celebrated in the words of Psalm 72. And so now, as we prepare to read God's word, we turn to the gospel reading for the day in Matthew chapter 3, where we learn of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as we do this, let's come before God in prayer. O Lord, our God, we thank you and we praise you for the justice that you promised to bring on the earth. We thank you that you promise that you are faithful and that you will right every wrong and wipe away every tear and establish all nations in peace. Lord, as we prepare to read your word from the Gospel of Matthew, as we prepare to read about this strange and peculiar man named John the Baptist, we pray that you will send us your Holy Spirit to fill us with the knowledge of you, to open our hearts, to open our minds, to open our ears, to open our eyes to what it is that you would have us see and that we would be transformed more and more into the likeness and the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 12. The apostle writes, In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing them, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones... God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. John the Baptist always kind of reminds me of a, of a Southern Baptist preacher. It's just a little like, get a little fire going. Sisters and brothers, in our Lord Jesus Christ, John the Baptist has always been one of my favorite people in the Bible because he just feels so out of place. Here at the beginning of the gospel story, at the beginning of the good news of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
we are confronted with this strange prophet who feels like a man out of time, a man who is in the wrong place in the story. When I read the story of John the Baptist, I get the feeling that he would have been a lot more comfortable in the Old Testament. His, his story is similar to a lot of the stories of the prophets in the Old Testament. He's the son of a respected temple priest who forsakes his heritage because of a call from God to go and prepare the way for the coming of the kingdom. He lives in the wilderness, the place of testing, the place of preparation, the place where Israel wandered for 40 years before they entered into the promised land. He preaches on the shores of the Jordan, the place where the people of Israel crossed over, into the promised land. John wears camel's hair and subsists on a diet of locusts and wild honey, preaching to whoever will come and listen about the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And accompanying his preaching comes this strange new ritual that we call baptism, this washing of the body that represents signifies and confirms the washing away of our sins by the grace of God. This is a story that is at the beginning of all of the Gospels. The baptizing ministry of John the Baptist, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. All four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, begin, or have at least somewhere at their beginning, this strange story of this strange man, John. And this is an interesting thing for us to note, I think, because as many people who study Christianity have noticed, the pattern of the gospel is the same pattern that we follow in our worship services. We begin with baptism in our service for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. We don't always celebrate the sacrament of baptism itself at the beginning of our service, but we always have a time of confession and assurance, remembering the forgiveness that is ours in baptism through the blood of Christ. And then we hear these stories of Jesus' life and of his ministry, these, these stories that, of how Jesus lived in the world and how he treated people and what he taught. And then we move later on in the story to remembering Christ's sacrifice and his death on the cross and the meal that he shared with his followers. And then we end by celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and being sent out into the world as his people. And this is the pattern of the gospel and this has been the pattern of Christian worship for 2,000 years. Baptism, story, passion, meal, resurrection, sending. This is the pattern of the gospel and the pattern of our worship. Here at the beginning of the story, before we even hear the whole story, before we even know who Jesus is really, before we know what he does, God's grace reaches out to us and offers us repentance in baptism. Repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, for all those whom the Lord our God will call. Those are the words of the apostles after Pentecost. This is the constant message of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of the apostles in Acts, the message of Paul in his uh, missionary ministry, the message of John in the book of Revelation, repent and be baptized. And this word, baptism, this is a unique word in the New Testament, a word that's, that's only used in reference to this, this Christian ritual because it describes a, a special and unique thing. And we see, we see this in a few words in the New Testament, words that we don't translate into English, that we, that we just like take the Greek word and, and we like pronounce it in kind of an English way, the, the, like the Greek word Christ, Christos. We don't translate that. The word Christos in Greek means anointed one. But we don't, we don't translate it as Jesus the anointed one. We translate it as Jesus the Christ because it refers to something special and specific. And it's the same with the word baptism. The word used for baptism in the Gospels is the Greek word baptisma. And it's a word that's only used to refer to this Christian ritual of baptism. And it comes from a more general Greek word, baptismos, which comes from the verb baptismo. And there's a quiz later, you all have to remember this. <laughs> and these words have a wide variety of meanings, from, from washing to dipping to dunking to drowning. And so some people have thought that maybe since Baptists have their own denomination now, we should change John the Baptist's name to John the Dunker. That, that's actually what some of the commentators say. They, they say that we should translate this John the Dunker. But, but the majority of Bible translators have said, no, that this doesn't, John the Dunker doesn't capture the, the meaning of the word because this isn't a word that means dunk. This is a word that's used specifically to refer to Christian baptism. It's a unique word that's only used to describe Christian baptism, a ritual that acts out visibly and tangibly what John the Baptist preaches verbally. And what the prophet preaches verbally in the Gospel of Matthew is something that we don't always focus on when we celebrate baptism. Usually when we do a baptism, we, we hinge on this theme of forgiveness, that the water is the blood of Christ that washes away our sins and makes us new, makes us clean. And the other Gospels pick up on this. In, in Mark and in Luke, the way that they tell the story, John the Baptist preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But in Matthew's Gospel, he, he leaves that part out. In Matthew's Gospel, the baptism that John the Baptist preaches is for repentance, period. Because Matthew, and what Matthew's doing here, he's using this literary technique, right? Because he's, he's drawing a lot on Old Testament imagery and Old Testament prophecy. And, John, and, and in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew wants to focus all of the language of forgiveness, all of the language of forgiveness on the person of Jesus. And so he doesn't use the word forgiveness to refer to anything else. And so, so this message that John preaches about baptism doesn't include forgiveness, I'm excited about this sermon, so I keep losing my place. <clears throat> in the Gospel of Matthew, 
Forgiveness is focused on Jesus. And so the waters of baptism aren't the waters of forgiveness. They're the waters of judgment. They're the waters of death. And that's John's message in the Gospel of Matthew. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is about to break in to the present age. The Messiah of God, the anointed one, the Christ, the king of heaven from the line of David is on the move. And his is a kingdom of justice and of righteousness, judging the unworthy for their sins, baptizing them with the whole, excuse me, with the Holy Spirit and with fire, harvesting the earth for his chosen people and burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. John picks up on all of this Old Testament language of the anointed king of heaven who is a just judge, who will right all wrongs, who will destroy all evil, who will correct all wrongdoing, who will punish all sin. The coming kingdom, John says, is a kingdom of judgment, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of righteousness. And so John calls all the people to the waters of judgment where they will be brought down into the deep, sink deep into death. John calls the people of God to the waters of judgment where their sins will be accounted for, where they will be judged and found wanting. And this is a side of baptism that we don't always focus on, but but it's one that helps us to understand what is happening in salvation, even if it's one that we might be more uncomfortable with. Water gives life, to be sure, but water is also dangerous. And you can see it in people's faces when they get baptized, especially when they get immersion baptized, right? You can see this look of terror in their eyes as they go down into the water, and it's like, oh dear, I'm going to die. And, and it's funny because you kind of see it with babies too a little bit when you sprinkle the water on their head. There's like this moment where they're like, what's going on? Is this good or is this dangerous? And then everything kind of settles down once, once you start talking about forgiveness. They, they, they know. <laughs> is this something good or is this something dangerous? And the truth is that it's both. What happens in baptism is good. That's what we confess, that's what we believe, that's that's what we preach, that's what we practice. But there is also, in baptism, there is also a part of us that dies. There is a part of us that is judged, a part of us that is destroyed in the waters of judgment. The Apostle Paul, in his letters to the Romans and the Corinthians, talks about how in baptism we die with Christ in his death. And we are raised up to new life with him in his resurrection. We die to ourselves. We die to our flesh. We die to the sinful nature and desires that control our lives from our birth. And we are made new. In baptism, we are judged for our sins. And are confronted with the reality that the penalty of sin is death. And this is a message that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Judgment, death, these are things that seem more appropriate in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. 
Because the New Testament is all about life and fullness and abundance and forgiveness. Judgment is a problem, especially in a day and age when when the Christian church is already seen as a place of judgment, full of judgmental people and judgmental attitudes. In a survey done by the Barna Group, a Christian group that studies uh, churches and, and culture in North America, judgmental was the second most common word that young adults used to describe the Christian church. The most common word that young adults used to describe the Christian church was anti-homosexual. And so the two most common words that young adults used to describe the church of God, according to this study, are both words that describe a place where some people aren't welcome because they aren't good enough, because they don't meet the standard. They come and they are judged. But the biblical language about judgment isn't about keeping people out. It's about bringing people in and keeping them in. The other side to the theme of judgment is the theme of justice, the theme of righting wrongs, the theme of correcting sin, correcting evil, destroying wickedness. And justice is something that people seem to be really big on nowadays. The message of John the Baptist, the ministry of Jesus, the mission of the apostles, it all picks up on this Old Testament language about justice in the kingdom of heaven. The prophets, John the Baptist, the whole Bible proclaims that when the Messiah comes, there will be justice for those who have suffered wrong, justice for those who have suffered oppression, justice for those who have suffered marginalization and abandonment and persecution. In the kingdom of God, there will be justice for the orphan and the widow, the foreigner, the poor, the slave, the prisoner longing to be set free. And this is something that we hope for and that we long for, but we have to recognize, we have to confess that there is no justice without judgment. There is no righteousness without the righting of wrongs. A friend of mine once told me a story. My friend's a a pastor in Chicago, and he told me a story about a teacher who he knew who was going through the Psalms in his uh, fifth grade or grade five class. They were going through the Psalms, um, and he was teaching these kids about the Psalms. And in this class, they, they were going through the Psalms, and they got to one of these more difficult songs, one of the more difficult Psalms, one of these Psalms that, that cries out to God for vengeance, one of these Psalms that starts along the lines of like, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Or God, why are you so far away? Or God, why don't you listen to my cry? Why don't you do something? I'm hurting here, and everywhere I look, it seems like wicked people get what they want, And they laugh at God and they think that they can get away with what they're doing because God isn't doing anything at all about it. And these psalms call on God to come and to avenge the blood of the innocent, to punish those who perpetrate injustice, those who who crush the needy and the poor. And as this teacher was reading this psalm, 
As this teacher was reading this psalm, there was this little girl in the back of the classroom who got up and started shouting and, and yelling and raising her hands and shouting for joy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and this was a little girl who had a severe learning disability. And she was bullied and she was picked on her whole life because she couldn't keep up with the rest of the class. And in this psalm, she found a voice to cry out to God for the way that she had been treated in her life. She found a way in the Bible to cry out to God for justice to be done. And she heard from Scripture the promise that one day God would come and would make things right. That God would come and he would call those people who bullied her to account that God would come and bring justice and peace on earth and punish sin and right every wrong and wipe away every tear from every suffering eye. For the first time in her life, this little girl heard the promise from Scripture that the mean and evil things that people had done to her would be punished. And she praised God for it. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of justice. And Jesus' ministry testifies to this truth. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus' ministry testifying this truth. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus opens the doors of the kingdom to people who had been denied entry. The poor, the lame, the sick, the unclean. His was a ministry that redefined holiness, not in terms of human effort, but in terms of the grace of God. Jesus looks at the way that people are treated in the world, and he says, not in my kingdom. He sees that a man with a contagious skin disease isn't allowed to come and worship in the temple, worship in the presence of God. And he says, not in my kingdom. He sees that a blind man has to make a living by begging at the side of the road. And he says, not in my kingdom. He sees that a woman with a blood disease is called unclean and can't be touched, can't come to worship God. And he says, not in my kingdom. In the kingdom that Jesus comes to establish on the earth. It's not the high and the mighty who benefit. The meek will inherit the earth. The pure in heart will see God. The hungry will be filled. The persecuted will inherit the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom that Jesus comes to establish on the earth, the kingdom that John the Baptist points to, is a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom where evil is punished and wickedness is destroyed, a kingdom where the sins that we commit are drowned in the waters of judgment, a kingdom where we are raised to new life in Christ and given holiness by him, baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire, purified and made new, a kingdom 
of repentance, of holiness, of justice. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, O Lord, our great God, we come before you this morning and we are in awe of the things that you teach us in your word. Lord, we thank you that wrongs will be righted, that sins will be destroyed, that wickedness will perish on the face of the earth. Lord, we pray with all our hearts that you will forgive our sins and turn us to you and make us pure, make us holy by the blood of Christ. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.